Hello, and welcome to Over My Head, a look back at Pop's past, presented to you by Los Lovely Boys. Please rate, review, and subscribe to our podcast to get these episodes as they drop. As Stefan mentioned on the last episode, if you rate us, if you go in, you know, leave reviews, that helps with the algorithm on Apple Podcasts, and we get more plays, and everyone's happy, especially you guys. The music for our podcast today is provided to you by the artist Friend of Yours. Please go check out their stuff on SoundCloud. This is a podcast we will dissect all things pop from the recent past. Today we are hoping to answer the all-important question, why did the song I Write Sins Not Tragedies by Panic at the Disco pop? You gotta read it like it, it says. It's Panic with an exclamation point at the Disco. I am back hosting uh, this week after a little hiatus. Uh, it was fun to switch things up. Uh, we're back to our quote-unquote normal ways um, for now. But this is episode 18 of our show we're getting close to 20, guys, actually, and um, we have a great song today. We're going to kind of keep on our, you know, pop punk roots. Uh, we, we'll do back-to-back weeks with it. We've done a lot of Atlanta hip-hop, done a lot of, you know, true pop, so this is a great way to break off into different type of things uh, as well. How have you guys been this past week? Pretty good, pretty good. Um, it's been uh, It's been another week uh, in... 2020 i mean i feel like we're kind of at a point where like things the days don't blend as much as they used to but they but they just kind of go <laughs> like I, I read something <laughs> about time being both fast and slow at the same time this year and that's extremely accurate to how i'm feeling right now um i can't believe that it's almost fall and at the same time i can't believe that it's um it's uh you know still 2020 so yeah we were talking about that today my girlfriend and i and actually like we're like things are feeling normal because like some people are going back to work you know there's sports again you know it's hitting fall but like then you realize like oh like i'm not gonna go to a restaurant tonight and like go have a, a drink and like go and eat out and stuff so like some things are coming back but then it's just a weird time to to be alive you know i know drake and Future said, what a time to be alive. That was back in 2016. It is a weird time to be alive. They should make a new album <laughs> uh, called that as well. Uh, Stefan, I know you've been watching a lot of baseball uh, when you can and stuff too, and so have I, but what yeah. have you been doing this past week? Um, more of the same, you know, working. It's Monday, then it's Friday, then it's the weekend, and then it's Monday again. Um, so, But I've actually gotten into, uh, I, I'm a little behind on this trend, Avatar The Last Airbender. Oh. Did you guys watch yeah. that like 15 years ago? Yeah, I did. As a kiddo. Not all of it, yeah. but I think I didn't understand really what it was when I watched it, but I did watch it. Yeah. But it's, it's amazing. Oh, man, there, it's good. There's heavy themes yeah. in there. There's genocide for one. Uh, two, there's a lot of like um, sexism nation. and feminism. Yeah. And uh, yeah, I think um, it teaches us all how we're different, but we need to unite. And I think in these times, it's a good message. So it's a really, really mature show. For it's like show. Adventure Time years before in terms of like world building and complexity, but also being kid friendly, which is not an easy line to draw. No, and it does it tastefully, as Adventure Time does. Um, but yeah, I, I watched uh, Pendleton's Ward, uh, his other show that came yeah, out. Mid- Midnight Gospel. Um, it's actually about a yeah, that show I breezed through because there's like 10 episodes. It's actually about a podcast. We're on a podcast, so that's how I'm tying it in. Uh, but that show's good, too. So if you want some late-night animation, those two I still shows. need to finish it. The last one I saw was um, is the one where they escape prison. Oh, yeah, it gets that one, real. That one it gets, gets real. very real. That's all I'll say. The, the Pendleton Ward stuff, I didn't 
check out. You guys were like, you might freak out. It's very ex- ex- existential. You'd have um, to, you have to get absolutely. Yeah. So I was like, you know, I'm going to hold off on maybe one day. I, yeah. I'm at home alone most of the day now, um, due to still working at home. So maybe I'll watch it during the day to not be so scared. Um, about life yeah. <laughs> in general. Um, a lot of new music that's been coming out. I know Chris has a lot that he's been listening to. Um, kind of the same thing with me. I'm listening to old type of music. Uh, I have listened. I listen to WAP. Is it WAP or WAP? I think it's WAP, right? W-A-P is WAP. What does that WAP, stand for? WAP. Well, that's, um, I'll let Chris tell you blank, what it stands blank, for. Blank, um, Yeah, it is it is a fantastic, fantastic song. Um, my, my coworker, like popped into one of our Slack channels and was like, I was not prepared for this Cardi B, um, for this Cardi B and Megan the Stallion song. And I was like, yeah, I mean, I can't think of a single line in the song that I feel comfortable quoting on a work Slack. So that <laughs> says something. <laughs> yeah. Um, I woke up on Friday and I go, Oh, like Cardi B, and Meg the Stallion. And I go, all right, I'll, I'll take a, a listen, like watch the video. I had no clue what I was getting into. And I go, Oh, okay. We are watching this, and it is raunchy. Um, it is a great song, but it is just raunchy. And um, the video, when I watched it, it was like nine in the morning, so it already had eight. It already had eight million views. <laughs> yeah, that song is. I was hit. like, that's in- yeah. that's incredible. So you know, they they might be at this point, not counting Beyonce because I think she's on her own level. They are probably the two highest in you know, female rap and hip hop. I know you can still say Nicki Minaj too, but she's doing some stuff, but she'll she probably is. be taking a, a little break with, Move you know, hips. being pregnant now and she's, everything. She's got um, a hit right now. Move your hips by ASAP Ferg and, and her and made in Tokyo. Yeah. But so I just think though, that they are probably the two top right now and it is a good song, great flow and kind of what you expect. So that's what I've been listening to. I also listened to, we belong together by Mariah Carey today in the car and Classic. realized that oh, wow. that song is, is fucking amazing. Um, got me thinking about, you know, if that's one we'll end up covering or just Mariah Carey in general too. Cause I, I would think, vouch for it. I think that we keep forgetting how big some of these people were. And then you like go back and you're like, Mariah Carey had all these records. And then some people might only know her now for fucking up on, um, the, the the Christmas song that she does, uh, you know, or uh, New Year's Eve or whatever the hell she did. So um, it's kind of interesting that, how, to be yeah, it's, well, we forget about a lot of that stuff. So that's what I've been listening to. Uh, Stefan, what have you been listening to? Uh, Boney Vare, fresh off his like hit with Exile with Taylor Swift, which is like the most mainstream thing he's done. Went back to doing what Boney Vare does, which is like really obscure stuff. He has a song called AUATC which is an acronym for ate up all their cake. Um, Sounds like it could really be a hip hop song uh, name for a it's song. It's totally it? not. <laughs> um, but yes, it's it could, the title ate up all their cake. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's very interesting. Uh, yeah. It's, uh, and then, um, you know who had an album that I kind of liked, but totally forgot about anime. Oh um, yeah. Caroline it was a sophomore name. album that came out, I think. So yeah, I still need to listen to it. It's on my playlist. It's pretty good. Woodlawn is probably the hit for me, uh, but there are several others. It's much more deep than I expected. I, I wasn't. I kind of forgot about him, honestly. Uh, but Caroline was a bop, and I loved that song then, and I still love it now. All right, Chris, what have you been listening to? I know that you have a lot of stuff that you've been 
you know, wanting to talk about and been listening to. New Hudmo, I know for sure, but what else? Yep, uh, yep, BBHE by Hudson Mohawk uh, dropped midweek, and I advise you to go uh, listen to that. It's a collection of actually songs that he had um, kind of played throughout the years in DJ sets, but it never, tr- uh, never uh, fully released, but it's still a really uh, fun listen. The ID tracks. The it's ID the, tracks. It is, it is an get. ID tracks record. And in oh, true Hudmo fashion, it's like the cover is absurd. The name stands for Big Booty Hiking Expedition. Um, he, yeah. <laughs> what? <laughs> he just, uh, yeah. Big it, Booty Hiking Expedition. Yeah, he, fucking hilarious. he doesn't care. Um, <laughs> So a couple things that I discovered recently. Um, so last week I was preparing to tune into the Lollapalooza live stream for G Jones and Eprom, which was incredible. Um, but uh, Elo, Elohim, Elohim, I don't know necessarily how to pronounce her name. Um, so I'd heard her a few times, but she just wrecked it before them. She was so good. Um so extremely, uh, extremely impressed with that. Um, I've been listening to a bunch of her songs as well. Um, Jesse Ware just c- came out with a really good new album that's kind of a more uh, electronic deviation from her sound, but still just as um, kind of intimate as as you'd be used to from her. Um, uh, Machine Drum just came out with two new songs, one with Freddie Gibbs. It's really good. Um uh, mood swings by Pop Smoke and Lil TJ. Oh my god! Um, what a beautiful yeah, song. That one, <laughs> what a beautiful. I'm not song. even gonna lie. That one didn't. That one kind of flew under my radar on first listen to the album, but now that it's blown up on TikTok and Young, you have shown me multiple good ones. Um, oh they, yeah. I, I love that meme format where you have one person swooning over a person yeah. and then the other guy just cuts in. <laughs> so he got the fatty. Yeah. The and Jim then, and Pam uh, one was great. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. They both agree. The, um, it's a great it's, format. Yeah. That song is catchy as hell. Um, then um, what What else? God, there was a lot actually that I haven't gotten to um, and plan to. And I'm just like scrolling through my playlist right now. Oh, Joji, Joji. Um, and Diplo. Yeah. Clark. Joji's got an album Wait, coming Filthy out Filthy Frank did? Filthy Frank and Diplo? That's right. That, imagine I that. was surprised. Actually, I could see it because he did a lot of the stuff with Three Loco. So, mm-hmm. I mean, like, Joji's different than Filthy Frank. Obviously, they're the same person, but they, you know, obviously yeah. have different type of styles. So, I could see him definitely collabing with him. Well, it makes sense, too. I mean, he's worked with, like, Getter in the past. Like, he, mm-hmm. he's got his little EDM vein. Um, and then uh, Bronson, um, Odessa, and I cannot remember who the second person in Bronson is, and I feel really bad about that, but it's an Odessa collaboration, and it's really good, um, just kind of electronic, explorational, like not even experimental. Golden features. Just golden features, thank you. Yeah, it's really good. What if it was action, Bronson? Um, oh, and then uh, Washed Out put out a new album. That was the one that was oh. on the tip of my tongue this whole time. The The song Time to Walk Away was the first one that I heard from it and kind of jammed to it a few times today. Um, planning to listen to the whole album I was planning to today. Just did not get around to it. Um, but I, uh, yeah, I love me some Washed Out. Always have. So, yeah, this was a pretty fertile week in terms of music, honestly. Like, we did, uh, we did pretty solid. Um, got another live stream coming up tonight as well. Um, Insomniac events, the um, the folks who put on Electric Daisy Carnival, they um, they're doing a 
um they're doing a hard summer barbecue and it's awesome because oh. it's one of those things they've been doing this for live streams where they actually do have like an in-person set but they have like a room um and the person comes in and they dj and then um this guy comes in they call him disinfecto and they're like disinfecto let's go <laughs> and he goes in he's just like disinfecting everything while loud music plays like like air horns and he's like spraying things down <laughs> and then um and then the next person comes up and they're all like wearing masks and they're like damn this is sick um yeah so that so <laughs> we got another night of that um kill the noise was on last night that one was really good nice disinfecto sounds like a like marvel mcu like villain yeah it does actually <laughs> or like dc <laughs> villain um in there um and then there's one other thing i want to talk about too actually with new music i believe we we might mention it last week but um shout out to our friend ryan barry ryan if you're listening chris remind me who it was that just had that album come out I can't yes. remember off the tip of my tongue, but Ryan um, Barry loves him, and I remember that you said that that was one that came out. So he's from Youth Lagoon. Oh, Youth Lagoon. Um, yep. And okay. I'm, let me pull him up because his uh, his artist name escapes me. Trevor Powers, his real name, not artist name. God, who mm-hmm. am I? Um, yeah. So he just came out with a new album, like you said, Anthony. Fantastic stuff. Yes, um, I wanted to drop that one in there too because I feel like some of our listeners might like. Youth Lagoon in general, but even just his style of music, too. So mm-hmm. shout out to Ryan Berry for giving us uh, some music to listen to on our own and everything, That's too. Our guy. But let, yeah, let's get into the episode for today. Great song to break down. Um, as you know, um, because of the man, we cannot play the song. So sorry, um, can't play it here. The man forbids it. Um, but please go listen to it wherever you can. Uh, watch the music video, too. We're going to talk about it. Great music video, an amazing one. Um, I forgot how good it was until I watched it. Actually, so go watch it anywhere you can. You know, listen all that type of stuff. And on the other side, we'll do our thing with breaking down history, production, lyrics, memories, everything involved too. So here's some notes that remind you of "I Write Sins, Not Tragedies," and we'll see you on the other side. Great, now that we are back, let's break down some of our memories with I Write Sins, Not Tragedies by Panic at the Disco. I'm going to try to make that joke a few times, I think, uh, actually. I've done it once already, so count along at home if you want to. Um, This was one of those songs, I'll start off actually um, on there, but this is one of those songs that I think was very confusing for our parents' generation to hear on the radio. Yeah. Um, So I think that they're like, I know what, like, rock is and i know who maybe like green day is but this was like on another level of what even like green day was with like pop rock or like pop punk or anything and i think that made it even more special for people our age to actually listen to um it was one of those that i think everyone knows um it was a little maybe taboo for us to be listening to with some of the like choice wording but you like didn't know what it was saying if you heard it on the radio only and everything uh as well it was edgy it was different than like whatever Levine had put out or anything like that um and it was one of those things that was really cool but very confusing for a lot of other generations i assume um with this i remember listening to this song i remember not really knowing what the name of the song was because they don't really say anything regarding the 
name of the song in the, in the song at all. And I think that's a little bit different than what you see a lot of the time with music. Um, kind of adds to that allure of Panic at the Disco and the allure of Brendan Urie, you know, making this music uh, along with the bandmates at the time too. But it is a fantastic song and actually might be one of the better songs that we've done maybe totally. Um, and we've done some great ones. I know I keep saying that and I'll probably keep saying it, but it's one of those that you like is kind of time stamped in this era and maybe in time for good too. I would completely agree. Um, very much, uh, very much kind of a new era of rock. Um, I feel like came, uh, came kind of to its um to its crystallization with this song i don't want to say peak and i don't want to say it came from this but this was definitely a highlight in um kind of the period and actually funny you mentioned that about parents generation because i i distinctly remember my dad being like okay this is kind of good <laughs> <laughs> um and, I, and he he compared it to bohemian rhapsody because um Oh yeah, I see that totally. You know, Baroque. it's it's Baroque yeah. as hell. Um, it's it's a very epic song, um, and compositionally, mm-hmm. it's really like I think it I think it really stood out from what was on the radio without losing poppiness, which you know always uh always worth being um being appreciative of something a little experimental, right? Mm-hmm. And even different from like Fall Out Boy, we covered them, and right. it, it sounds different than them while sounding similar too, but. I think like you can even like say like basically he's monologuing, you know, the whole thing and it's not rap, but it's not singing during the, the verses and everything. And it, it just is this big storytelling thing. And I won't give away anything like that too, but Stefan, what, what do you remember with this song or what do you want to add with just maybe it's legacy in general? Yeah, I think you both hit the nail on the head. It was different at the time. It was fresh. Um, I think it kind of spearheaded. I think it was a bridge between kind of punk like pop punk, like you just mentioned, Avril Lavigne, maybe Blink-182, and maybe like the later half of the decade where we get more into emo and scene, this kind of like bridged the gap between them and maybe kind of forefronted what was to come with emo and um, that scene sound that would, you know, pop up, maybe a bit more electronic. Uh, But this was like Chris mentioned, Baroque. It was different. The lyrics probably flew over your head if you weren't reading like at a high school level. Um, it was just a breath of fresh air and there's a reason why it's kind of become a meme and people still love it to this day. Like there are TikToks of this, there are, there have been vines of this, there have been memes of this song since memes have been a thing. Um, so it'll continue to live on. And I think I'll touch on this in my portion, but I think Panic at the Disco's career can be split in two halves and it's a really long career, which is odd for... Um, bands from this era um, spanning almost 12 years at this point uh, 14 years actually um, it's and completely different sounds if you look at um, I write Satan's Not Tragedies to High Hopes it's the same band but totally different um, formation of the band in terms of members and totally different sound yeah and we talked about it with like Coldplay they've been around for so long and they had to change their sound and Brendan Urie is he's not an idiot obviously he he wrote this song he did you know stuff with Panic at the Disco for a long time and still does so he knows that you have to kind of reinvent the wheel so to speak in order to stay relevant and we see a lot of 
groups that don't make it or still aren't around like that we've covered. So it's kind of cool that you get those that are still going on and making music and still staying relevant for better or for worse, I guess, uh, with different things too. Not that High Hopes is a great song, but popular so it <laughs> well too, yeah but. we can we can get into that yeah, maybe uh, we can when it comes across yeah, <laughs> i have some hot takes all maybe right. not hot lukewarm takes it's piping get the tea ready y'all because we're gonna have some piping takes uh today with everything but let's get into this song then um and the breakdown stefan take it away with panic at the disco thank you very much so we will take the machine back to 2004 and we're not going to atlanta i promise <laughs> we're going to a town called las vegas vegas baby so yeah vegas was actually interesting when we think of rock in the 2000s um another band that came out of vegas was a little band called the killers um and i think there's some interesting parallels between those two bands uh but we'll get into who who is panic at the disco you know brendan yuri he's kind of the front man but there were also other guys ryan ross at the beginning was the guitarist and the songwriter actually wrote the song um i write sins not tragedies um spencer smith was the drummer and you had a bassist named Brent Wilson. So pretty, you know, generic um, lineup for a band. You have the bassist, guitarist, drummer, vocalist. Um, but what's actually interesting is this band formulated in high school. And I mentioned Blink-182 for a bit. They started out as a Blink-182 cover band. I could see it. I could see Brendan Urie um, singing some Blink-182. Blink yeah, absolutely. Yeah, he's got the same uh, Western nasally accent, so it fits. Um, but Brendan Urie, speaking of him, he didn't start out as the face of the band that we know him as. He was invited by Ryan Ross and Spencer Smith as the guitarist, and he was singing backup vocals, and then they said, whoa, you've got some pipes. We're actually going to make you the lead vocalist. So Ryan Ross was originally supposed to be the vocalist. He then transitions to songwriter and guitarist, so um, Brendan Urie could fill that role. And when you think about this band, I think uh, a lot of comparisons can be made to Fall Out Boy in terms of genre. Um, you have a frontman like Brendan Urie, frontman like Pete Wentz. Uh, but there's a valid reason beyond those two variables. Um, Pete Wentz actually signed them. Huh. And Pete, Pete Wentz was really young at the time. They were recording from Under the Cork Tree, which was uh, kind of the album that really brought them to the pop forefront. Uh, but they were still in the process of recording that, and Panic at the Disco sent them a demo through LiveJournal, which, of <laughs> course, this is 2005, and LiveJournal is a thing. Oh, and yeah. they sent the demo through that. Pete Wentz loved it. He ate it up, and he drove from L.A. to Vegas to see them practice and signed them after two or three songs. Um, so he loved them from the start. The label he signed them to, he was under-fueled by Ramen, which is a pretty big label. Decay but he Dance, had his right? own Yeah, Decay Dance. It's now known as DCD2. I'm not sure why they changed the name, but um, yeah, he, him and Patrick Stump had uh, Decay Dance, and he Panic at the Disco was one of his first signees. And if you guys want to know other alumni from Decay Dance, uh, there's some familiar names. So you've got Travi McCoy slash Jim Class Heroes. Travi McCoy is still on it, interestingly. Uh, like bands with a similar sound, you have The Academy Is, The Ready Set, New Politics, Cobra Starship, speaking of that. Cobra Starship, oh man. Yeah, very similar sound, uh, a little bit later, but another guy who totally is a black sheep here is Tyga. <laughs> I remember that. I, I remember him initially from Coconut Juice. Yeah, there's there's a reason for that. Um, Tyga and Travi McCoy are cousins. 
So there's the tie. He's oh. he doesn't stand out like he stands out because he's a completely different genre. He's making straight hip hop. Uh, Travis McCoy's kind of in that punk hip hop pop scene, but uh, yeah, he's the cousin of Tyga. Well, thank God that he was signed there and got to make. I, I got a girl part three or whatever the hell it was. Uh, <laughs> yeah, we learned about that. I need a girl part three. <laughs> Thank God. You pulled it off. I'm not going to lie. I still have to listen Thank to that God. trilogy. I've got some homework. So Pete becomes a hype man for Panic at the Disco. They're his first signee. Um, he wore Pete at the Disco. <laughs> Pete with an exclamation mark uh, at the Disco shirts. I love uh, that. At concerts. Yeah, he loved them. He, he was mentioning them on red carpet interviews. Um for the 2005 MTV Video Music Awards, he actually said, I've got a couple bands coming out soon on Decay Dance, one being this band called Panic at the Disco. Their record is going to be your next favorite record. It's called A Fever You Can't Sweat Out. Get it before your little brother does. And that segues us perfectly to their first album, A Fever I Can't Sweat Out, which includes the song we're covering, I Write Sins, Not Tragedies. So we have their debut album, The Fever You Can't Sweat Out. It's recorded in 2005 over the course of five and a half weeks. Quick. And they had a, yeah, they had a small budget. Um, they were living in one bedroom at the time. High stress environment. Uh, but they grinded out and actually, you know, came out with a pretty solid album. In terms of, you know, it's sonic composition, it's divided in two halves. The first half is electronic dance, punk Maybe a sound that's more similar to Panic of Disco nowadays, but the second half is um, filled with instruments you wouldn't find in pop punk at the time. You have strings, piano, accordions, and you can kind of guess where which half of the album I Write Sins, Not Tragedies would lie. It's that second half. And Chris can get into more what makes that kind of unique for pop punk at the time, but um, that was the decision they took with this first album, kind of doing two sounds. So the album, A Fever You Can't Sweat Out, it's released on September 27, 2005. To place that in the context of history, this is roughly one month after Hurricane Katrina um, hits New Orleans, so almost 15 years ago to the date. Sales were somewhat slow to start, roughly 10,000 in the first week. And their first single was not I Write Sins, Not Tragedies. It's another song that's called The Only Difference Between Martyrdom and Suicide is Press Coverage. Great song. Great song. And there's a theme here, like really long titles with it, which are kind of literary. Pete Wentz does the same thing with his song titles. It was kind of a, a trope in pop punk at the time. And Panic at the Disco were no different. Uh, this song reached 77 on Billboard, so decent success, but not what you're looking for in a lead single. And that's part of the reason why sales were initially slow. However... That would change as the album would gather over 500,000 in sales after four months. So we got 10,000 in the first week going to 500,000 after four months. And that is because of the single that would come out next, I Ride Sins, Not Tragedies. So when we look at the song, Anthony mentioned the title of the song is nowhere in the lyrics. Where does it come from? I Write Sins, Not Tragedies. Um, it comes from a novel by Douglas Copeland, and the novel is called Shampoo Planet. And I'm not going to lie, I know nothing about that author or nothing about the novel. Good names. Uh, but yeah, good names. And you could tell these guys were smart. They were literary. And the other songs they had on the album, including the previous single, The Only Difference Between Martyrdom and Suicide is Press Coverage, came from another novel called Survivor. So you can tell they're pretty booky and smart. 
And that comes out in the lyrics that Anthony's going to get into. The lyrics really drive this song and kind of what made it so popular. Uh, it's released on February 27, 2006. In the U.S., it goes off without a hitch, but I do want to bring up what happened in the U.K. because this is crazy to me. They released it in the U.K. on the same day as a limited edition uh, single release, but it came with a free sticker. And you're thinking, that's cool, right? Song with a sticker. Bet I'm going to get a two-for-one special. But there's a little rule in the U.K. official singles chart that say uh, stickers are not allowed in single releases. So it didn't qualify. Uh, for that, the UK charts because of the, the sticker. I love that. <laughs> what, the, what the hell? Which it's weird that we mentioned in the other episode that like crazy changed something with the UK charts in mm -hmm. general. With us. Yeah, they started counting downloads. Yeah. Right, because, because of, that, of that. But then yeah. they go, nah, th you get a sticker with this. Fuck y'all. You, you don't get anything. Well, it's funny too because like 15 years down the line and across the pond, granted, but um, I mean – you know, it just kind of shows a complete difference in like what charts counted as, okay, this is proof that a person wants the song rather than the goodie. I mean, nowadays there's a whole discussion on Billboard this year about the bundle rule um, and albums being able True. to sell, you know, Taylor Swift just did it, eight versions of her vinyl just with different covers and, you know, boost the hell out of their first week sales um and singles do it all the time six nine and Nicki minaj just set a record for the biggest drop from number one because they sold so many bundles um you know didn't say so have a similar issue with the Nicki minaj version or am i remembering incorrectly? it wasn't they, bundles they, they it was that um it was that they weren't sure if Nicki minaj for whatever reason Nicki minaj wasn't credited at first and i actually it may have been due to bundles i don't remember the details there but um but the same thing happened with the Scots and then Rain On Me to an extent um, and the Bieber and Ariana song that I forgot the name of. Like all those songs like have had controversies and a big part of it is, you know, to this day, we're still trying to figure out like, OK, the 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 impetus of what a person like what is behind a person's purchase decision and how much that should factor into a chart placement is still being debated. And, you know, 15 years ago, we were like, I don't know, maybe they're just buying for the sticker. Ooh. Well, I, I guess an argument can be made, like, if it's a, you know, in a vinyl with different covers, people want, that. Right. you know, people want different art. I don't know if a sticker drives a purchase. It's such a weird, specific thing. <laughs> yeah, it's silly. Um, I think they changed the rule after this. I want to know what started that rule where they specifically outlawed stickers. Some shit must have gone down. Something has to have. Um, previous in the day but anyway here in the states it reaches a peak in number seven we didn't care about the sticker rule it's cool it hits its peak on august 25th 2006 and stayed in the chart for a total of 37 weeks so pretty long stay mm -hmm. yeah and you can see why um the radio loved it as anthony mentioned it wasn't the version of the song that was released to buy uh, the lyrics were a bit spicy for a pop punk song at the time. I think Anthony can touch on what they hushed and what they uh, they blurred out, kind of. I don't know. Um, My mom might be mad if I break down some of those. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. This one's not real. I can't say this is mom approved. There are some songs we've done totally not mom approved. There are some songs we've done totally mom approved. This one's not mom approved, in my opinion. Uh, and because of that, it was kind of, you know, 
as Anthony mentioned, spicy for kids to buy, especially if you were into pop punk, which was popular at the time. But another major cultural impact that kind of drove the success of this song was the music video. And I think you guys are all familiar with it. If you're not, go check it out. Link in the show notes. But this is everything about pop punk in one video. Um, Brandon Urie, dramatic. He's got guy liner on, something that would like really take hold. Long, swooshy hair. And he's playing a circus ringmaster who's at a wedding. Uh, the video really follows the lyrics word for word. They're slamming of doors, goddamn doors. And it's really good. Uh, but what I learned is kind of a scary fact that's kind of funny in multiple ways. Uh, Brendan Urie and Ryan Ross, when they recorded this video, both had the flu. And this is funny for two reasons. One, the title of the album is called A Fever You Can't Sweat Out. So, ironic. And two, this would totally not fly in the COVID era. And I don't think it's going to fly after we're over this. I don't think you want people with the flu working on a set where they can infect a lot of people here. They're like, fuck it. Let's just get this video out of the way. Um, hey, some of the greatest performances ever have been with the quote unquote flu, the Michael Jordan flu game, you know, things like that. So sometimes you got to step up. Maybe not now, but in the past. Or Freddie Mercury singing while he was, you know, on his deathbed mm-hmm. with AIDS, a little different, but yeah, yeah. You, you push it to the limit. I just don't think after COVID we're going to want to be around feverish people. No. Um, so this is an example of how our world has changed, but the music video was loved then and is still loved to this day. It won the video of the year award at 2006 MTV VMAs and then billboard ranked it as the third best video of the decade. MTV released a poll in 2011 and asked all its users, Hey, what's the best video of all our videos that have won video, uh, music award of the year. And this topped that poll. So in 2011, people thought it was the best of all time and when we think about this song in context of why it's so like fondly remembered i think you know we think of it as a classic emo pop punk song of the mid-2000s but i think people remember it differently and it depends on your generation um the millennials love it because they were coming of age and then gen z was kind of maybe brought into it because they heard panic at the disco through different songs which i'll get into maybe high hopes and everything um but They've seen this song memed in multiple ways. Like TikTok has an 8-bit version of it, which was like a popular format a few months ago. I'll put a link to an example there so you can check it out. Um, But Panic at the Disco would continue to survive, leaving this emo sound that I Write Sins, Not Tragedies had. um, And their music would go beyond that into much more just straight pop. So how did we get from there to point A to point B? I'll go through it very quickly, but I want to preface this that I Write Sins, Not Tragedies was the only Panic at the Disco top 40 hit until 2015. Wow. So almost 10 years, they did not break the top 40, despite having multiple albums. So the shit ton of shit that happened, it's pretty dramatic. And I'll start out uh, right after this song is released. So in May of 2006... There's going to be a lot of people leaving the band. This is the first instance. The bassist, Brent Wilson, is cut due to a lack of responsibility and the fact he wasn't progressing within the band. So they cut him. He kind of got mad. He wrote some stuff online. They later kind of one-upped him and said, you know, all the shit you're talking, 
you actually didn't record any of the bass lines in this album. Brendan Urie did. So I don't know what you're complaining about. You did nothing on this album. He demanded royalties 25% and then later sued them. So that was dramatic. That was right off the get-go. One bite to the dust. We're at one so far. Remember, we had four original members, so we're down to three. Next album comes out. Wait, it's called Pre- wait so they didn't, they didn't replace yep. him at all? I th- um, they might have replaced him on tours, but I don't think there was an official okay. member that stepped up. Okay, cool. Yep, so they had, you know, Brendan Neary could play the bass, other people could play the bass, but they had no other official band member. Okay. Good question, though. So next album comes out, and this one's a pretty interesting album. I liked it at the time, still like it. It's called Pretty Period Odd Period. And speaking of periods, you know how there's an exclamation mark after Panic at the disco? Mm-hmm. They drop the exclamation mark for this album. So it's just panic at the disco, not panic at the disco. And this album took on a Beatles sound. It's totally psychedelic. Um, So they left the pop punk sound and just kind of went towards weird, you know, vocals, a lot of harmonies, a lot of live instruments. And critics liked the direction. They thought it was more organic and more optimistic, something fresh in the punk scene. They even went green for their tour, eco-friendly buses, eco-friendly like uh, band merch and material. So they were really leaning into this psychedelic theme. Uh, the most popular song you're probably aware of is Nine in the Afternoon, peaking at 51. I have fond memories of that song because it was on Rock Band 2. And I think if you're thinking about a song that describes being high and it's a novelty, Nine in the Afternoon fits that. So it's a perfect teenage song. There's a few others on that album that i really like but they were not as successful so after pretty odd you had this huge change in sound and it kind of led to a rift within the band so ryan ross was the lead lyricist guitarist he was a reason why all these lyrics were so profound and john walker was another guy in the band playing um guitars drums kind of being a middleman And those two decided to leave the group because they wanted to kind of stick with the sound that Pretty Odd established, more retro, more 60s, 70s. Brendan Urie wanted to lean more into pop music that was polished. So those two left the band and formed a band called The Young Veins. And they would release one album in 2010 called Take a Vacation. And it didn't have a lot of commercial success and they would later break up. So now we're left with Two people, Spencer Smith, who's a drummer, and Brendan Urie, and they're going to continue on as Panic at Disco. So now we're down to a duo. Sad. Another one bites the dust. Third album, Vices and Virtues, 2011. They bring back the exclamation mark. Thank God. Brendan Urie's like, yeah, we're back to panicking. With an <laughs> <laughs> and uh, all is right with the world. This album did not do great um, successfully, you know, with sales. I wasn't a huge fan. I was a fan of it when it came out. Looking back, you could tell the lack of lyrics um, from Ryan Ross were not there. It's kind of uh, cringy to listen to now. The production's not that great, in my opinion. Uh, but they went back to kind of Baroque emo pop with this album, but didn't seem didn't find the success that they found with their debut. And for a while, Panic at the Disco kind of floundered. 2013, they released another album, they partner with a new guy. They're back to three. Uh, but this is the last band. This is the last album where Panic at the Disco was a band. 
Uh, but you could tell Brendan Urie was getting more influence here. More electronic and dance pop. They had songs like Miss Jackson and This Is Gospel, if you remember those two. Miss Jackson peaked at 68, This Is Gospel at 87, so not that great, you know, especially if you're a band that peaked within the top 10 within your debut. And uh, this is sad because this is the time where the last original member, Spencer Smith, would leave the band due to combat drug addiction, which he did. I think he overcame it, which is good, but he wouldn't return to Panic and Disco. From this point on, it's Brendan Urie's show to run, which is ironic because he was brought in as maybe the third member after Ryan Ross and Walker formed the band, and he wasn't even the lead vocalist to begin with, and now it's a solo project of his. Funny how that works, right? Yeah, he's he took it and wrote it into the sunset, and now now that it's a solo project, it's basically Brendan Urie. Uh, he releases an album, Death of a Bachelor, in 2016. And uh, this is where it starts to pop off. The first single that reaches within the top 40, aside from I Write Sins, Not Tragedy, so 10 years after the fact, is uh, Hallelujah. And I don't know if this tells you more about the rock landscape at this time or not, but it's nominated for Best Rock Album at the 2016 Grammys. Oh. Panic of the Disco is starting to come back. Oh, the best rock album. Best rock album. I mean, yeah, one song. Oh, I yeah. mean, not not even knocking the quality of Panic of the Disco, but what else is there? <laughs> there were slim pickings. Yeah, so it, it's much more about the landscape of rock. I'm not. I realize that there's totally good rock being made. I do. I'm, I'm. But yeah, like on the pop, like and Grammys level, like in terms of what's on their radar, like. Yeah, fair point. True. The pickings were slim. But here's where it really pops off. Pray for the Wicked. 2018. Came out a few years ago. Now it's just full on pop. Brendan Urie is like, I'm going to lean into this. There's a little song called High Hopes, which you probably know because it's annoyed the shit out of you. Politicians love to use it because it's very safe. The Pete Buttigieg dance. Pete Boot, yeah. <laughs> we'll, put a, we'll put a link to that video in the show notes. One of my all-time favorite so moments of this, like this past year's political season. It's maybe the most like white moment captured on camera. <laughs> Sounds about what? Uh, yeah. Some uh, aid of Pete Buttigieg is trying to establish a dance to this really cringy pop song that somehow climbs to number four, actually surpassing I write sins, not a tragedy. So when you look at the highlight of panic at the disco's career, it's not I write sins, not tragedies. It is high hopes. That's absurd. Sad. It's sad. And this song was eaten up. Uh, it broke the record in 2019 for the most weeks at number one on the Billboard's Hot Rock Songs at 34 consecutive weeks. God. Uh, that would later be broken by 21 Pilots with Level of Concern. Oh my God, they're not even rock. That song's pretty good, yes. though. I'll give them that. I like that song. I, that song is decent, but yeah, like the Grammy nomination, this speaks to the landscape of pop in from 2010 onward. Uh, there's not that much variety in whatever charts is going to ride that wave for quite some time. Another song that did fairly well is Hey Look Ma, I Made It, going to 16. So um, two of their top three highest charting songs ever come from this album in 2018. And it's just a Brandon Urie solo project. It's just pop. None of the Baroque emo stuff from I Write Sins, Not Tragedies is anywhere on here. It's just a very generic structure in terms of a song. A lot of 
I don't know, uh, not stomp clapping, but kind of stomp like clapping. boom, clap, boom, like, yeah. It, yeah, it's basic pop structure. I don't know if Chris wants to expand on that, but I, mean, I, that's pretty I don't much, see anything unique. That's about it, yeah. sound. Wait, so it literally is just him now. Like, does he have, like, backing tour, like, mates? Yeah, he has tour. He has tour people, but uh, yeah, he's he has producers who help him. So he's uh, like Adam Levine, basically. Pretty much, pretty much. Um, Very but similar. I think Adam tracks. Levine kinds to mask it. Yeah, yeah. Which is crazy to think about. Where you know the yes, it's the same artist, Panic at the Disco, that made I Write Sins, Not Tragedies, and High Hopes, but the the structure of the band is just completely different. It's almost like two different artists just sharing the same name. And it's crazy to think about one came out in 2018 and one came out in 2006, but a lot can change in between that much time. And it did. I'm surprised that he didn't just like go off on his own um, because he, he makes songs like when he gets credit on other songs, when he's featured, it's not featuring Panic at the Disco. It's featuring Brendan Urey. So I wonder why he kept it maybe for notoriety or anything, but I feel like at yeah. that point he could have just been Brendan Urie and had a backing band at that point. Like so I was kind of, kind of the opposite the of what thing. Brandon Flowers did. He was, you know, with the killers and went away and just did Brandon Flowers but still played killer stuff. I feel like he could have done that, but maybe I'm wrong. So I was thinking the same thing, but then I remembered like probably his biggest correct me if I'm wrong, but I think this is his biggest um non panic uh single was me with Taylor Swift. And I remember mm-hmm. when that was initially marketed, um, I don't believe it's credited explicitly like this, but when it was initially marketed, it was featuring Brendan Urie of Panic! At the Disco. Of Panic! Oh, and yeah. I, I feel like he's still kind of, you know, making that calculation. I mean, you can tell he had pop ambitions for the longest time. And I think it's kind of really the same reason that Adam Levine is not Adam Levine solo, you know, like, you know the name Panic at the Disco, as yeah. you know the name Rune Five. I mean, that that's not to say I don't think he could pull it off as Brandon Urie at this point. Like people know who Brandon Urie is, but um, the Panic at the Disco kind of gives it that almost nostalgic feeling. Like, I mean, especially for folks our age, like we all remember, especially the first few Panic at the Disco albums. Like, you know, I've got fond memories of Pretty Odd and um, and Fever You Can't Sweat Out. So. Yeah, with his Dylan Francis yeah. song too, it says Brendan Urie, and then in like parentheses, Panic at the Disco. So yeah, that's interesting. Wow. Yeah, I'm not sure if it's contract related. You know, you sign to a label a sometimes point. it's for X amount of albums, so you can't you have you're signed as that artist. I'm not sure if that's the case here, um, but yeah, it's interesting. I think as we go longer, people are going to associate Brendan Urie by himself rather than the band. But I can say I saw him live in 2013 where he wasn't quite yet solo, but it was pretty much the Brendan Urie show. Uh, he was very charismatic, very uh, flamboyant, and uh, you could tell it was his show, even though there were other, you know, literally other band members there, probably Smith at the time. But um, yeah, it was it's the Brendan Urie show now. Great. So anything else you want to add, uh, like, with the song, with the band, anything before we get into production? Uh, it's unique for a reason. And I think that is because of the very uh, abstract lyrics, but also the production, uh, just how it marks itself different from not only pop, but its subgenre of punk. And 
I think you two will get into that pretty well. All right, great. Well, sad to see the other people go uh, with it. I guess I didn't even really know that Panic at the Disco was stripped down as much as it was because wh- why would you know if you're just hearing stuff? You know their sound has changed and everything, but I guess I never thought that it was just Brendan Urie at this point that is Panic at the Disco. So sad to see, but, you know, he still goes on, like I said, for better or for worse. So, Chris, let's get into the production with this song. This one might be a lot different than some of the other ones that we've actually, you know, broken down at this point. So I'm excited mm-hmm. to hear what you got. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, well, and I will say, like, uh, I, I'm just going to, I'm just going to, like, caveat here um that i don't have as much of a um as much of a direct insight into rock production or for that matter like production techniques of this era as much as i would from of anything nowadays that said it's interesting to look at it from um from a production standpoint just because um you know as we kind of mentioned earlier um this was pretty early in their career and they had to get scrappy for the sound they wanted, which is a very ambitious sound. Um, kind of, uh, kind of a common refrain I've been to before here, but, um, but it, at its core, when you boil it down, it's a, it's a four chords with variation, um, relatively poppy track. Um, but it's a very smartly composed song in terms of the flourishes to kind of mask, um, what, to mask those chords and they're catchy, they're memorable. It's relatively predictable, but it's dramatic and, um, and has enough kind of little odd, odd tidbits that, um, you know, you don't get bored obviously. Um, and in that way I would say it's, you know, it's kind of class, it's kind of classic at its core, but it's what the, it's the theatrics around it, um, that really kind of make the song. So one thing that's interesting, I was looking up. Um, uh, so I think it's I think this is just very fitting for the whole um, for the whole thing. You know, initially the song, according to um, their engineer, uh, so their engineer posted this on Instagram. Um, I think like a year ago, uh, he has the original master CD for a fever you can't sweat out and like every song has a working title which is funny like all of them are like one or two words so they're clearly like draft titles a couple of them um uh i constantly thank god for esteban is called esteban um but you know most of the others are completely different and i write sins not tragedies is actually called flam chorus like Flam chorus? Yeah, F L A M, and they actually spelled chorus wrong. It's C H O U R S. But it, oh man, I was giving them credit for being literary, you know, bookworms. If they can't spell chorus, well, they, uh, you know, this is like a this <laughs> is like this is like the most um the most like rough draft version of it. But he was just he's like, oh man, look at this. It's a little reference CD of it. Flam chorus. And <laughs> well, that doesn't appear in the lyrics either. It doesn't. You know? No, none of, no, none of these are. None of these really make sense. Like London Beckon songs about money written by machines is called NYC. <laughs> um, like not like none of those make any more sense than what it was called on the album. Um, and but just 
the phrase flam chorus is really funny to me <laughs> just because like this is a flamboyant ass chorus. Like, totally. If um, you know, you listen to this song and one of the first things that you that you get treated to after which another important production note, the cello sample. So it is a sample, Brandon confirmed, oh. uh, in uh Forbes interview in two thousand eighteen. Um, he, uh, they had, they, they had just found it somewhere <laughs> and it's just that little loop, uh, 16 bars. And they're like, you know, that's, that probably ended up being one of the most memorable, like earworm aspects of the song. So funny how that works. Um, but th- one of the first things you hear is this, like, it's really kind of almost like hushed story happening lyrically and the, and the background slowly builds up over these, um, over these chorus, um, over these cello, uh, plucks over these little, like implied chords with strings. And then all of a sudden poor groom's bride is a whore. Bam. And then <laughs> flamboyant ass chorus. It just bursts on like massive drop D chords. Um, everything, everything there, like coming out the gate, uh, is, it screams pop punk, but in a whole other echelon of it. Like that's almost arena pop punk, you know, like when I, um, what, like some of my fondest memories of this song are, you are just how much, how much of a charge you get from that drop. It's a really, and it is a drop, you know, years before the drop was an actual compositional element. Like, just the, the dynamic movement of what happens when you have that dropout and everything rushes in is incredible. Um, it's a headbang moment. It's a headbang moment. It's a. Uh, it's also a. Um, it's a headbang moment, and I I would suspect like 20, 15 years later, ironically for what he's trying to do right now, um, this would have been a massive TikTok hit just because of how like you can imagine that loop being whore, like. Totally. Just <laughs> like, a gasp. Like, um, I'm I'm positive it's still on there right anyway. Like Yeah, it's it's on there by itself, just being like such a unique song nowadays. Um but yeah, if this was fresh content, mm-hmm. TikTokers would eat it up. Exactly. Now what I um so a couple of the other uh elements of the song. So when Brendan was talking about in in the same interview, um just about the song and what they were trying to do the idea was just to find like to cram as many interesting instruments in as they could, but keep it coherent basically. And that's pretty much exactly what it sounds like. Um, we mentioned the accordion, um, kind of in the, in the second verse breakdown section, um, the, the bit where he goes again and it sounds really faint. Um, I have a distinct memory of in ninth grade math class, I used to wire my iPod headphones through my hoodie sleeve and lean on my hand so that I could listen to stuff in class. Classic and I move. It, and I left it, I left it too loud once and my, and the guy next to me just heard the again. And I was like, my bad. Uh, <laughs> anyway, <laughs> so that's, that's where, that's one of my memories of that song. Um, anyway, the, so right around that point is when, um, in the second chorus particularly is when the full band really comes into play. And so 
especially especially in the verses they really kind of play around the drums are like this weird brushed uh pattern um it's all it's very chaotic actually like it almost sounds like they're scrambling um the whole well in fact um section of the verse is like is hectic is shit like even the lyrics are hectic and the instrumental kind of follows but the drums are like borderline incoherent <laughs> like i don't even know how you notate that it's just kind of a um it's just kind of a weird little jazz shuffle almost um you get this you get this kind of like smoky room atmosphere throughout the song and that really kind of brings it full circle there's also little like um xylophones happening little um little flourishes there's a lot of what i noticed when i was looking at the chords of this song a lot of seventh notes um being kind of thrown in uh just to spice up so it is actually um actually a, the same four chord repetition a minor a d minor an f and a g throughout the um throughout the song especially the chorus but in the verses they they replace the d minor with a d7 major um and what that ends up doing is kind of giving giving a bit of tension uh where there wasn't before um previously it's kind of just a standard like within the key melody and that kind of brings it out of key for a second and you know that's that's around the part where they say technically our marriage is saved um and it doesn't sound like they're being genuine in the lyrics and that's kind of how it sounds in the instrumental even. So it's a very theatrical song uh, through and through. Um, I think one of the other most interesting parts to me. So we kind of talked about what panic has become whole lot of stomp clap, whole lot of basic. It, <laughs> I mean, yeah, honestly not a fan of pretty much anything. Uh, Death of a bachelor onward, but which is all Brendan Urie. All Brendan Urie. Yeah, no. Well, <laughs> here's what's interesting is I was listening back to the song and thinking like you can hear of you can hear glimpses of the better parts of those songs in the chorus of I Write Sins Not Tragedies. The drums are really simple, just a kind mm-hmm. of four on the floor, like just massive beat. Um you know, crash symbols going the whole time, uh, ride symbol underneath. Um, everything's, everything's really consummate. Um, what, you know, underneath that is a very kind of soaring chorus. The chords are chugging along, like everything's just really compact, but it's still interesting. I think the biggest thing is that the lyrics still, you know, have that bookish quality and they're, they're very like, no other pop song I think ever has used poison rationality in a chorus. Like what the hell just on paper. I, when I was a kid, I remember like not knowing what the hell poise or rationality were and having to look it up in the dictionary because of this song. I remember so for it, the longest, like, me to that. yeah, I remember for the longest, like not going as far as to say that I thought this is what he was saying, but I was like, I, I kind of heard it as poison rationality oh i'm gonna get to just, that yes yeah like it's it's just very um like it almost it like kind of yeah it just feels like a hazy smoky room like someone's talking to you with a wink in their eye and you know the fact that you still get that quality with a pretty not standard but pretty you know predictable four chord chorus um is 
is awesome. I think it I think it's very much aided by the fact that in the verses things get unhinged really quickly. Like I said with the drum um with the drum bits. Um pretty much any everything about the um about the actual instrumentation is built to like kind of be rough around the edges and then the little breakdowns that happen with the um you know we kind of talked about the again that's a that's a chord shift that's a very effective one too another um f major seventh to a g um it it kind of ends up like bringing you up and up and up and up and then slowly then drops you back into that big old chorus and it's really memorable it's really unique um basically just the song is the song is very well composed to be to keep you on your toes but be familiar enough for you to come back and be a pop hit in its own right um i think from a from a production standpoint it's also interesting so we're 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 in 05 um not necessarily at the point where fall out boys like you know they're getting big um this is just after from under the cork tree but we're not quite at i mean you know when we were talking about thanks for the memories um we're not quite at the infinity on high level of produce of producing kind of bells and whistles um and i think this it you could hear kind of a similar level of um of mixing technique the drums are still mixed in a very pop punk way the low end is really not muddy but just very much it it very much kind of flows together with the bass um the kick drum and the bass are kind of in the exact same frequency range um it's not like fall boy it did in 2007 and then um, Panic of the Disco would later on do, and then every other band would later on do, where the where the kick drums become this very digital, very hip hop, like full lower range burst. Um, it's it's kind of classic in that way, but but where they where they really kind of deliver on the vision that Fall Out Boy kind of touched in is expanding it into these weird like jazz flourishes and. Um, kind of kind of like it, i can't even i can't even describe it really like it feels like a it feels like you're you just walked into a bar that's like designed to be quirky but still catches you off guard with how quirky it is <laughs> like, like so a, a bar band. in austin texas yeah. where you like live. i i'm specifically thinking of the floppy disk bar um <laughs> there's a there's a there's a speakeasy that says floppy disk store on the front and you have to get the password from one of the other bars in the area. If you just like are nice to the bartenders, eventually they'll give it to you. Um, maybe, <laughs> but I've only been in there once and it's just very, very weird. There's like animal heads and shit everywhere, like taxidermies. And then like DJ will play like just really weird shit and then mix it with UGK. And you're like, Oh, <laughs> um, <laughs> but, uh, like, what? yeah, it's great. Um, Anyway, can we go the, there sometime? Let's do that. Yes, definitely. I need to we need to befriend the um the bartender at House of the Rising Tanuki San first, though. So, um that's that's so, how of it course. Works. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> write that down. Uh, write that down. I we're, write that down. Oh god, I wish we were in a pandemic. Anyway, <laughs> anyway, um that was a tangent, but all that is to say this song like gives you 
it gives you that kind of visualization and puts you in those places the way that they've the band intended it to. I think it's really powerful in that way. Um, I think it pushed the boundaries of what could be on the radio, uh, both at that time and going forward. We kind of mentioned, you know, like this was still at a time where they were figuring out what defines a CD single, whether whether or not it has a sticker. Um, you know, we've come a long way from that. I mean, this is a couple of years before Justin Timberlake pushed the length boundary. Um, and then several years later from, you know, just all the ridiculous shit that happened in the 2010s in terms of mainstream pop. Um, it's, I, I think it's a, it's a very progressive, very bound, very experimental song to be in the top 10 of the billboard hot 100. Um, and I think that's a big part of why it's aged so well. Um, I mean, you can, <laughs> it's, it's definitely one of the weirdest songs to be a karaoke classic, but it is. <laughs> like oh yeah it, like, i would there's love a to weird, sing a song in karaoke there's a weird feeling when someone sings this and uh like a karaoke or otherwise and everyone around you also knows the words but everyone's like running through poison rationality like it's like it's the most obvious line <laughs> you know and like the entire like verses and whatnot just yeah the fact that this caught on to the degree it did is awesome um, I love this song. I love uh, early Panic of the Disco. And this was definitely a moment where everything clicked. And yeah, I think for in a lot of ways, uh, pop music is better for it. Great. Yeah, that is a great breakdown of production and everything regarding the song. Great. All right. So let's break down some of these lyrics. And Chris touched on some of them. It's hard not to touch on these lyrics because... As much as the production goes with things, the the lyrics do carry this um, very much so uh, with a lot of things. So I'm going to break down some of the lyrics. I think everyone knows them, of course, but I want to actually give some of like just my takes about the lyrics in general as well. Um, one of the first things when I looked up some of this stuff that I thought was hilarious is that it was quoted that Brendan actually hates performing this song live. Um he said that one time he hated doing it live, and then another time he goes, I don't hate it, I just like doing the new stuff, but then the old stuff. But that's actually not surprising to me that he does hate performing this, because if someone gets known for a song to this caliber, like that's what you're waiting for the whole night, right, is this song. So right. if I went to go see Panic of the Disco in any form, this is a song I'd be waiting to hear. Um, Confirmed as someone who saw <laughs> Panic of the Disco live in 2013 before their other hits uh yeah everyone was waiting for this song right yeah. totally. so yeah. they have the, their other songs you know that you know or maybe don't know or anything too but i remember like hearing about 50 cent when um you know he would play into club he would hate it like he's like i would actually perform it early on so i didn't have to perform it later like in his sets because everyone wanted him to do it um also chris i think when we saw schoolboy q like he made a comment before like man of the year played or something he's like i like y'all want this so i'm just gonna do it or something yeah. like that so like <laughs> yeah, it's exactly. the songs that they get known for that they like play over and over again but you know they might get sick of it to an extent we don't but or maybe we do but i, they I get, don't blame them yeah i don't blame them at all either with that um as well be taxing night after night um doing this um also the song in general it's very poetic i think it's telling to what stefan said with just like them going off of the album name with being part of a novel um it does tell a story so it's a great storytelling song um in general um maybe a song that you wouldn't or a 
storytelling that you wouldn't think of right from when you hear the you know song title but when it really does go through you're like wow a lot happens in I assume it's three and a half to four minutes long. Um, usually on the radio it is uh, around that time. So uh, pretty crazy that they get all that in. Um, and then in the video, he's dressed as a ringleader, actually, which I think is very fitting for this song. Um, it is theatrical, but it is it is kind of like a circus when you think about it. It's very entertaining. There's a lot going on. You're really wanting to like see what's happening next. There's loud sounds and everything, too. So I thought that was really fitting that he was a ringleader in this way and like is trying to conduct the show or put on the show. Um, it's a weird way to put it, but when you see like the movie, the greatest showman and like, you know, he's like the ringleader, like this is kind of what I think of like this video or with Brendan Urie in general, because he is a ringleader now and he mm -hmm. was the ringleader, not maybe the ringleader quite at this time, but it was telling that he would be eventually um, to many extents as well. Um, very monologue like, um, in the verses, it's very spoken word, almost rap like. So hear me out on this one. I'm I'm glad you uh, I'm glad you said that. I was hoping you would. Yeah. So it's it's not rap and it's not hip hop, but you can almost hear the way that he's saying stuff, and he almost has like a flow with it that is like a little bit different, but it is really cool. So like you know, he starts off, and I'll just go through the first verse. So you know, he goes, "Oh, well, imagine." As I'm pacing the pews in a church corridor and I can't help but to hear. You know, it's just like that where it's like boom, 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 boom. Like everything fits so like meticulously. And it, mm -hmm. it is very technical actually. So when I think of like technical rappers, you think of like we talked about Big Boy being a technical rapper. You think of someone like Busta Rhymes. You think of like Twista, like very technical and on the mark. It's almost like that in a way um, as well too. And then... I just thought it was really cool the way they did it. And we talked about Fallout Boy getting these type of, you know, hip hop influences and everything. But I think that Brendan Urie really took this. Um, you know, the songwriting was from someone else, but I think he really took this and it was made for his voice to go in that way um, as well, too. So, yeah, that was something I thought was cool. I like hip hop and I know we do too, but it was kind of weird how it meshes together. And it's not hip hop, but it is at the same time um, as well. A um, couple of lyrics you guys might not have known. Um, Back in the day, maybe not even now, too. You can look them up, of course. But um, didn't know that, of course, it was, uh, you know, shutting the goddamn door. Um, so they would actually cut it. So it would be like, you know, um, or excuse me, closing. Uh, but it's closing the damn door. But, like, they, like, cut it in a way that it seems like it was just damn. You know, like, when they cut out mm -hmm. things on the radio and there's swears or things like that, you're like, oh, that's totally, like, a swear there. Or, like, they cut it. But they like cut it in a weird way that it actually still fit because it'd be like, have you people ever heard of closing the damn door? Like not goddamn the damn door. And like I thought it was like actually a door shutting. Does that make sense? Like it was like shutting mm -hmm. the yeah. and it like would shut. So I thought it was intentional. Yeah. Um, maybe great songwriting on their part to actually have it like that to like sound like maybe you're like getting shut in a door like it's just abrupt. But Obviously, you can't say goddamn on the radio. We can say it on this podcast because we don't give a shit, but um, we... Smart to explicit. Yes, yeah. it is. So if you don't like it, keep listening, please, um, on there. Eat it. Um, <laughs> but, uh, and then one of the other things that was cut out, too, of course, is at the end of that first verse. So um, I kind of got to, you know, exchanging of words, but he goes, what a beautiful wedding, what a beautiful wedding, says a bridesmaid to a waiter. Didn't know it was waiter, actually. It makes sense that it's actually waiter. Um, 
And then he goes, and yes, but what a shame. What a shame. The poor groom's bride is a whore. And that you hear this shoot mm-hmm. on the radio, right? So you wouldn't know what it is. Um, so it's actually one of those that you hear over and over again on the radio. But when you actually hear the lyric, you're like, oh, I didn't like it takes you back. Right. And it is meant to. Um, and that. And then he just chimes into, like Chris mentioned, like the chorus. It's like a build up. And then all of a sudden you're just like, I chime in with the having two people. And you're like, whoa, okay, whoa, this is like going Dude, nuts. Like, oh, God, okay. And that's why I think it's like kind of circusy theatrical because you're just like, whoa, all of a sudden, like, you know, that's just crazy. And it breaks down and you're like, you know, you got to hush or you got to, you know, mm-hmm. Groom's Bride is a whore. And then it just like kind of pauses and then it just bangs in and you're like, whoa, this is insane. So everyone knows the chorus. I won't really break it down. Or actually, there is one part I want to break down with the chorus, and it's what Chris mentioned, um, with a sense of poise and rationality. So it's the whole line is, no, it's much better to face these kinds of things with a sense of poise and rationality. And he says it quick, right? So it actually does, like Chris said, sound like poison. Um, and it could be just the way that they, you know, it, well, it is the way that they actually made it sound for sense of poison, poise and, you know, poison, poise and, and. I think it was one of those things that like kind of goes through your mind. It's a song about infidelity, right? So it is about, you know, them finding out that, you know, significant others cheated on someone. So it might be like what's going through the groom's mind in the case of them singing is actually that he is handling it very well. He's handling it with poise. He's being rational about it. But on the other side of it, you hear like poison and you're like, what is actually going through his mind? He's being right. poised. But is it that he's actually like, oh, like, should I be mad? What should I do? I'm about to get married. You know, what are you doing? And it actually goes back to that, too, with the haven't you people heard of closing the goddamn door? There is actually like euphemisms with the goddamn door. It's like, do you want to shut the door actually like on the marriage Are the door like this is what, you know, is could be referred to the bride's legs as she opened it for another man or another person. Oh. Yeah, you wouldn't think about that, right? So, like, I didn't think about that. No. Closing the goddamn door. Like, so haven't you people ever heard of closing the goddamn door? Well, the door could be a, mu- a multitude of things, actually. So, um, <laughs> and that was cool that, you know, they have the wordplay and the kind of euphemisms uh, with everything, too. So, a common theme that we take things for face value, but it's a little bit different. Um, I'll stay on the chorus, actually, for a second, too, before I get into one other thing. Um, the chorus is just chaos. So I, I mentioned it, you know, it's just like beautiful and it's chaotic and it's not screaming in the chorus. Like actually, like when he's doing it, he's not screaming, but I know that we've all screamed it. And I know that all you out there that are listening mm-hmm. have screamed this, right? And it is amazing what he can do with his voice to still stay like within his range and within everything sounding good. But you know that like, it's very chaotic and like this is something that is probably meant to be screamed because it's going through like the mind of like hello like this happened like what the fuck but like he's like saying poised in this and it's like kind of by the way of like what the groom would be too um so it was Mm -hmm. interesting how he kind of comes in and keeps everything calm but also you know it's not supposed to be calm at the same time um with that and then I thought that the other thing with the lyrics just in general is the ups and downs that he goes through, like in the second verse are, are so beautiful. So it gets a little bit more away from like hip hop rap 
type feel. Still have that kind of like monologue spoken word type of thing. Um, but when he like goes in the second verse and he goes, oh, well, in fact, well, I'll look at this mm-hmm. way. Technically, our marriage is saved. Well, this calls for a toast. So pour the champagne. Like he even does it just a little bit right there before he does it literally. But he goes like up and then he'll go down and he goes, oh, well, in fact. And it's just like this like little like play on stuff and like that's going on. Um, and he goes, I mean, technically our marriage is saved. Well, this calls for a toast. So pour the champagne, pour the champagne. Yeah, it's descending. Um, yeah. And like, Chris, you might be able to talk about this too, but like just the descending, like, we talked about how in Hey Ya, where it's like actually his voice that's doing it. I think that mm-hmm. they add a little bit, but I think it's mostly his voice actually that's actually doing that too, which which makes yeah, it I even it cooler. Is. I think it mostly is. Um, I always uh, so I always kind of um, thought about that part as like to your point, like the there's a lot of wordplay that goes along with his both the story of the lyrics and how he's delivering it. And I always thought of this part as he's, he's just gotten drunk to deal with this. Like, <laughs> yeah. he's like, Oh, well, in fact, <laughs> he's like, well, in fact, and he's a, like, you just imagine him like getting belligerent. People are kind of like, uh, just this dude. Okay. And he's like, Oh yeah, yeah. Fuck it. Like uh, yeah. the marriage is saved. Like, fuck it. You know, he's like, and he's just hyped up. Like, um, but clearly just not doing so. well. Yeah, he's <laughs> condescending his shit. It's like very double edged and like almost dripping. Like, um, it's mirth. It's just a lot of mirth. Yeah, is happening. Over no, there. that's. I I think it's his voice. I I think it is his voice though to answer that question. Yeah, I think that that's a good way to put it actually because I haven't thought about him like actually being like, hey, well, you know, it's a wedding, so they're celebrating, so maybe he is drunk already or anything, or maybe a cool yeah. thing. Something I thought of too, but like when you pour champagne, you know, the bubble, it bubbles up a lot and then it kind of descends down too. So it could be like, yeah, it's probably not, but I look at it too, like the bubbles up and then down of like the champagne and stuff too. I wouldn't put it past him actually, um, with the song ready, but with just him adding those type of things too. Um, then you get another chorus and then another thing with just like the ups and downs in voice and like, this is an effect, I'm pretty sure, but it's after the second chorus um, where it goes back in and it says, well, at the end it goes not, no, it's much better to face these kind of things with a sense of poison, rationality. Mm-hmm. And it just like goes like in again. And it's just like going like into like nothing almost. Um, yeah, if that like, makes it's sense. Awesome it's like a black river. hole is sucking everything out of it. And yeah. Maybe that's just with what it is where where it is like the rationality is kicking in and you're like, oh shit, like I can't get married after this or anything like that too. But yeah, you said it is reverb on it. It's a it's like it's like drowning in reverb and it's progressively getting more and more drowned out of the dry signal. That's interesting you guys mentioned that because like in the music video, Brendan Yuri is playing a ringmaster about somebody who's getting married. At the end of the music video where this line is, he's actually the groom and the ringmaster is an alter ego. So maybe this kind of portrays the part where he's going back into reality. Mm-hmm. Like, yep, he's was had this out of body experience where he's considering what he's doing and he just had a sudden realization of, oh, shit, here I am. Yeah. yeah. And he goes, it's yeah, it's very otherworldly. Yeah. So that's pretty much it with the breakdown. I mean, it, it is really cool. Um, 
very unique for this time. We hear a little bit more of it later with pop punk and everything. Um, I know we come back a lot to like hip hop themes and things like that, but it's really cool. And it, it was very different at this time. And we're lucky that we have this song, um, in our lives. I feel too. Maybe we're not lucky that we still have panic of disco, um, or Brendan Urie or anything, <laughs> but for what yeah. this was, like you said earlier, Chris, like your dad, like putting this to like, almost like Bohemian Rhapsody. Yeah. At first I was like, I, I don't know about that, but like it, it is kind of maybe a little bit of a stretch still, but just the fact that like theatricalness and things like that, when you like watch all the music video and stuff like that, I can see yeah. where he's coming from in a way, because it is one of those that is like very like meticulous and a, very out, out there in a sense. Yeah. It's a really impressive song. I mean, and to your point, like I would rather see Brandon Yuri grow old and shitty. Like, like he's, he's giving us some great art. Yeah. You know? I'll, uh, I'll, I'll always have a soft spot for it. And a big part of it is just how, how much depth this album has. And, you know, this is a huge part of my, um, of my younger years for sure. And I know same for y'all. So, yeah, I was going to say this was, uh, very formulating in my young, very early teenage years. Um, this was kind of, a. Panic at the Disco in general, pretty odd. The album after this is really good. Check it out. It wasn't as commercially successful, but really cool songs on that that didn't necessarily top the charts. But this one did top the charts, and it's still a really good song. Absolutely. Well, all right, now that we've broken down this song in its entirety, it's time to get into our segment. The segment is going to be our signature segment, The Top 10 Back Then. The Top 10 back then the top 10 back then is brought to you today by me guys i don't think i've done one yet maybe if i did i don't remember um have you really not done one i I feel like you have maybe i have once i don't remember it it all runs together like we said so maybe i've done one other one uh but i looked it up and i was like i want to do this one today so we're gonna go it's a good in with this um with the top 10 back then so this is the week of august 26th 2006 this is when i write since not tragedy was at its peak so i'll actually give some of our other songs uh that were in the top 100 real quick uh before um that i had looked at on here um one of them is going to be at 96 a new entry actually for this week moneymaker ludicrous featuring pharrell so this was new hell yeah um at this time a great song um one of Ludacris's best actually um at this point and time and maybe even ever actually too if i go so far to say that myself um number 51 a song that we had actually gone over before uh where'd you go fort minor featuring holly brook um great song right above that life is a highway wow what a classic song uh with that that, I remember that from the the Cars movie. Yes, uh, classic. Potato, potato. One of the, the worst Pixar potato. movie. Let me rip on oh Cars for a second. Why? Why did we make Cars two? Let alone Cars three. There was a third one. Yeah, there was a third one. I don't know. Um, I don't know if I have an answer for you on that one. But if I do, I'll get back to you. Um, but 
I hate cars. The worst, the worst <laughs> chapter of Pixar. Anyway, it is an absurd on. movie. Fuck I was very mad um, about it, but I can actually <laughs> see where you're coming from a little bit. Um, number right. thirty, number thirty-nine on this list, a classic, guys. Chain Hang Low by Jibs. Man, I remember, I remember going door to door for cans for some <laughs> church thing, and like seeing a girl in her living room dance to this, and I was just mesmerized. <laughs> <laughs> I realized that was really weird coming out of my mouth. <laughs> all right. Um, but, well, true story. The, all right. Well, the, the <laughs> what I wanted to talk about with this was that it was up 30 spots from last week uh, to number 39, actually. But, mm. Stefan, that's a good story, too. Thank you um, for that. Jibs. Um, it was a viral dance hit Yes, at the it time. was. Uh, number it was. 35, Sexy Back by Justin Timberlake is rising Great up 17 song. spots. Um, as well um there's a couple other ones i want to go over this is a really weird one um i forgot the song existed uh so about us brooke hogan featuring paul wall so brooke hogan is oh hulk hogan's she had a song daughter, right oh yeah. yeah i've never heard this that. was number 33 i didn't know she had a up career 20 spots music. um i've never heard this song um i think i remember vaguely that she had a music uh Cold career, but oh, wow. this is number thirty-three, so it's a top forty hit at this point. Who is it featuring? Paul, Paul Wall. Okay. Really? Yeah, nah, I don't know about All that. Right. Above that, thirty-two. No, we'll bad day. We've covered that. Um, Chasing Classic. cars is at thirty-one, up four Classic. spots. Um, on there. Move along, a similar type song or genre. Uh, All American Rejects is twenty-five on here. And then I think that was, oh, Hips Don't Lie is falling at number 17 as well on here. Um, and then Over My Head, Classics. Cable Car is at All 11 right. to kind of give you the time period that we're looking at with everything. So that's just a couple of them in the top 100 that I like. So let's get into this top 10. Number 10 for this is a classic song, Shoulder Lean, Young Dro featuring T.I. Great song. This song was one of those that I really loved. Um, I still love it, actually, at this time. Young Dro is still... Well, while we were in college, he was still making music, too. Um, but mm-hmm. I feel like we've mentioned it before, but I did not I did not realize the song hit top 10. No, it was up two spots from the week before. Um, this is a, a great song, and it was just like one of those where it was just like, when you bounce in the rhythm, let your shoulder... And it was just that bass like with it that was really awesome, and... Ti yeah, comes in, bounce. yeah, and Ti comes in with a really like awesome, you know, feature. This was one of those that I like. Wish I was able to drive and was like also in one of those cars that bounced up and down with the hydraulics. I think <laughs> this was made for those kind of cars, actually. Um, Facts on there. Um, right above that, we'll be at number nine. Um, our friend Neo actually with "Sexy Love." Oh, great song. Yeah. Underrated Neo song. I think it is an underrated Neo song as well, too. So I think you get a lot of songs that you think of. But um, Sexy Love was one of those that was a bona fide hit, actually. Um, and, you know, maybe not the number ones that you think of for Neo. But what do you guys think about with Sexy Love? Uh, was this like our was this our first taste of Neo? Been a while, honestly, since I've listened to that song. But yeah, Young, I think it might be, which which, which needs a change. Well, uh, well, we had Neo with well, we had Neo with the feature, obviously, with yeah. "Knock You Down." Oh, good call. Uh, but yeah. this might have been the only taste that we have with solo Neo in like the top ten, actually. If I had you remember, we're eighteen episodes in, but it could be actually with that. 
So my I know um, this song and When You're Mad were the second hits after after So Sick, which obviously we all remember that one. Mm-hmm. Um, but I I think this album was extremely like underrated for a hit album if that makes sense yeah like it's a like it's a very good album <laughs> i remember uh so i i remember um borrowing it from the library and definitely not doing anything with the files um and uh listened and, and returned it promptly it, yeah. on time listened and returned it yep you know me um but yeah i yeah um yeah sexy love was a bop yeah, it, his crooning is like so. Like this is a weird comparison, but like his crooning is pretty much like on par with like Young Thug's crooning. I think like they are like professional <laughs> crooners. Am I wrong? I have not thought of Young Thug as a crooner. I'll be honest. Yeah, I've I've never thought of Young Thug as like a, a singer. I mean, I can see. I, it. I mean, like more like his crooning, like in the way that he like does his like ad libs that are beautiful and stuff he, with young. Thug. He pours his he emotion does, into it. I'll say that. We'll put it that um, as well. But Neo is like is if a martini could sing. That oh. is true, and could also wear a fedora with the blue cheese olives. Yeah. Yes, the, the classiest martini <laughs> you can buy. I will take that. Uh, in his photo on his uh, on Billboard, he is in a fedora and a nice suit that is be. probably at least a thousand dollars. If not, as you should be um, on there. So number eight is a song we've actually mentioned before. Uh, you guys can chime in with anything, but ain't no other man. Christina Aguilera. Oh, at great song. Eight. Um, the great brass. Song. This song is beautiful. That's beautiful. It, is. Yeah. Um, it was like that where you would get those quotable lines. Like it was like your mother, your brother, your sister, and your friends. Right. Mm-hmm. Yep. It brings the whole family and otherwise. Uh, yeah. It's really like a, a retro song. It's almost like Amy Winehousey, uh, Mark Ronsony for somebody like Christina Aguilera who came up like in the bubblegum pop mm-hmm. era. She really like showed her chops on this song. Yeah, cool. I love the I love that there's like a weirdly drum and bass flair to the to the instrumental too. Yeah, it it was one of those that you were maybe surprised at, but you were pleasantly surprised with everything too. So this was staying stagnant at number eight, actually. So it stayed at the same spot. Um, Number seven, we had mentioned it. I write sins, not tragedies was up three spots from the previous week and did hit its peak at number seven. Number six is a song I really liked back in the day. Give it up to me um, in parentheses when you gonna before it. Uh, so when you gonna give it up to me, Sean Paul yeah, featuring Keisha Cole. Keisha Cole. Um, Hell yes. This song was like really kind of crazy like production at the time. Um, I think this like came on after I was listening to some Black Eyed Peas like when we did our episode on them. Uh, I wasn't just listening to Black Eyed Peas. The recommended um, yeah. on, on I YouTube. Wasn't, yeah. I wasn't listening just to Black Eyed Peas on my own. Sorry. Uh I want to get that out there. Um, But yeah, I think it was on Spotify afterwards, like when like it goes like into just other songs that are like it. And this was, this is a great song and um, Mm -hmm. kind of a quintessential Sean Paul song. I I recall there being like a Disney version because I think they played it on, this is like a radio Disney song. Um, And it was much more clean than the actual version. I don't remember that. Yeah. It's, it's like G rated. I think that the video is actually the Disney version. Wow. Mm. Okay. The more, you know, so I, I, yeah, I remember the step up 
um, stuff with it. Like it was either in the movie Step Up or it was a single for it. And I can't remember which. Yeah, remember Step Up. Step yeah. Up. Well, yeah, that's number six for this week. Um, so we're halfway through. About right, guys. Um, number five is Buttons, the Pussycat Dolls featuring Snoop Dogg. Um, Classic. Always thought that was funny because of <laughs> cat and dog, right together. So mm-hmm. that was kind of funny. Um, this was stagnant as well. Stayed the exact same. Um, this was a song that. It's a great song. Yeah, it is a great song. Again, not mom approved by any means. No. Um, with anything. The the spiritual uh, grandmother of WAP. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I think that it's funny with this song because. Like, Snoop Dogg will hop on anything that's hot, right? So, like, he'll, he'll, like, go in, like, he was on California Girls. He would do, like, whatever features. So, I think he was just like, this is going to be a hit, and I need to hop on it. Um, Because there's really no need for him to be on it, but he is. I I love that song. The beat is just chef's kiss. The, um, I want to say it's Polo the Don. Yeah, it is. It might be, Yeah. <laughs> It is. And, um, yeah, like, so this is on that now. That's what I call party hits, <laughs> too. Or no, it's not. It's on uh, It's on the a Now CD from that era, and Don't Show was on party hits. But this album, the, the Pussycat Dolls, like, debut album, had no business having so many bangers. But it did. Yeah, I, this and song Stick was with everywhere. You, which is a great song. This song was everywhere. Like I remember when it came out, and you'd be like pushing all my buttons, and you like couldn't get it like mm-hmm. away from it, even if you tried. So you would change the radio station, and it would be on the other one. So this is a really pushing big one. It had buttons, you know baby. name staying power, obviously, with having Snoop mm-hmm. Dogg in it too. But yeah, it was a uh, you know the girl group coming back uh, essentially at this point. So they were you know after Destiny's Child would have been and things like that. So. Would we have had the Pussycat Dolls if the Black Eyed Peas filled Fergie's role with Nicole Scherzinger? I don't Absolutely know. Absolutely not. Mm-hmm. Unless unless so. Fergie would have been a part of the Pussycat Dolls, then maybe. I mean, I that said, uh, Will I Am actually produced the single before this, Beep. That makes a lot of sense. Holy shit. So, mm-hmm. it, yeah, it kind of adds into it. So. Looking at you. Yeah, so that is number five. For this week, um, number four is a song that we've mentioned before, um, "Me and You" by Cassie. So we God bless. We did another top oh, ten back so then with good. this one in it. So there are some repeats, of course, and everything too. Um, I know we've talked about that, but great beat for the song and great everything that's going on with "Me and You." So classic song with that. Another song that we've mentioned, actually, the next two will definitely be ones that we've mentioned. Um, number three is "Promiscuous" Nelly Furtado featuring Timbaland. Um, maybe one of the best songs of all time. Up there, it's up uh, there. The decade for sure. I was just yeah. gonna say it's definitely within my top ten for the decade. Like, I'd say, I'd wow, say, I'd say Cassie's up there. Yeah, I mean, this is one of them. <laughs> we have a lot of you know girl power coming towards the top here, and then, you know as well. And Promiscuous was just one of those that I think at the time it was. We mentioned this. It was risque, right? Like, there was different things about it. I think if this song was released now, it wouldn't be seen as risque. Like, WAP definitely is. Like, you're like, holy shit, this is, like, you know, way out there with stuff they're saying. You know, there's stuff that's more, you know, societal, like, 
accepting nowadays, but this one wasn't maybe as well, you know, talking about a woman being promiscuous and like essentially bragging about it in its own right. So the fact that this ended up reaching number one at one point, but you know, is where it is, is, is pretty impressive for this time and Mm -hmm. Timbaland production helps, but you know, this was when sex appeal really did sell and was good for the time. All right, so then number two is a song that we have actually covered before, guys, so we won't talk too much about it, but it is Crazy by Gnarls Barkley um, at this oh. point. Yes. Um, still stuck at number two. It still is stuck at number two uh, with its 15 total weeks at the chart. Um, isn't it so interesting that Crazy and I Write Sins Not Tragedies are in the same top ten at this point? I mean, you look at all the other songs. This I Write Sins Not Tragedies is very out of place, right, in this. Um, oh, yeah. But... Just the fact that they are in this same area that's going on is is pretty impressive. Hmm. Yeah, I mean, it make, they're they're around the same spirit of like pushing what a pop song is, I guess. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So the fact that Crazy is still stuck at number two, obviously, you know, it never hit number one. Um, but I write since that tragedy did hit its peak at seven, not too far behind. Um, is pretty awesome, and the fact that I write since that tragedies didn't get the UK. Um, you know, sticker sales or whatever the hell you want to call it, but crazy ended up changing the model is pretty telling maybe in its own right as well too. Shows how antiquated the UK charts were at this mm-hmm. time. They were like, we fuck it. We're doing it live. Basically. That's what they said uh, at that yeah. point in time. And then number one is an artist that we have covered um, as well. Actually a lot of familiarity, but number one will be London bridge by Fergie. There we go. Which I just talked about Promiscuous being, you know, like a song that's out there. London Bridge is literally a euphemism for sex at this point. Oh? Yes. If you didn't know out there. um, What? (laughs) I thought it was like admiring the landmark you can see in London. No, it is not the London Bridge. Uh, It is a euphemism uh, in its own right. So sorry to spoil anyone out there. Uh, Fergie. um, I'm sure. Yeah, she made this song. Um yeah, it, this is number one, and like we went over, of course, glamorous, you know, hitting, you know, where it did. But London Bridge is like one of those that the wailing sirens, the euphemism, and mm-hmm. as much as maybe I write since not tragedies has it's like chaos. Like this was just one of those that you're like, right from the start with the sirens and everything. You're like, I mean, literally the first thing you hear is oh shit, and like everyone's saying. <laughs> Oh shit! Like, what's gonna happen? Um, so, what do you guys think about London Bridge being the number one song this week? It, I think it should be. I just remember the music video with the um, with her like dancing with the London guards. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The the, the iconic. Um, yeah, it's a great song. I <laughs> um, I don't know who produced it, but it's a great beat. I'm about to look it up actually for you. Oh, never mind. The first hit for London Bridge might just do London Bridge is the actual London Bridge. So hold on, let me actually look uh, for who produced this. Um, Alona Don. Oh, it yes. was. Yep. Oh my guy. Also, I love the single cover. It's Potato. It's just. It might be her photoshopped in front of the London. It Bridge. is. Yeah, they photoshopped her in front of the London Bridge, wearing like this red, <laughs> this, this red. I love it. This red jacket that this red uh, I love leather it. I jacket just sent it. and a crown. I, oh, and then the the, the Fergie do not on top. <laughs> I love it. The the font too. It's like <laughs> you could make it in PowerPoint. <laughs> yeah, I could have made this definitely. Um, 
but that is hilarious. So, so Stephen, what do you think about London Bridge being the number one song this week out of, out of all of it? I think it's a I think it's a really good song, but it's not the number one song off the Duchess. Like, no. no, not at all. Yeah, glamorous, clumsy. Um, what's the what's the other big top girls don't cry ten hit? Fergalicious big girls don't cry. definition. Fergal- make them boys go loco. And, and you know, for delicious, yeah. So I I probably rank London Bridge at the bottom of those five. Wow, yeah. Let's be honest. Hot takes. I think it's a good song. That's not knocking on London Bridge. It's just more the strength of the Duchess, which I have talked well, about. Well, I will let you know. Yeah. At this point, it looks like this was the first single in general, because for delicious uh-huh. comes it was, after. It, so that makes sense. It's what she led off with, and it, it did gather hype. It did. It did get her a lot of hype and. Rightfully so. So it was, you know, choreographed definitely in its own way. But yeah, I mean, this is this is a great top ten. Not the best we've done, but in terms of just up there. what it is, like, yeah, I would listen to all these right now. Um, if I were to you know go on a road trip or even throw it in a DJ set, maybe Chris, you could throw one or two of these in, in your DJ sets that you'll be doing eventually. Um, as, yeah, maybe as well too. So um, listen, get dolls for sure. Yeah, absolutely. So. That is the top 10 back then for this week. That will wrap it up then for another episode of Over My Head, A Look Back at Pop's Past, presented to you by us, the Los Lovely Boys. You want to hear our episodes? Great. Please subscribe, download, rate us, do whatever you can to help us in any way. If you want to add your input on this song, want to suggest songs for us to look into, or just want to give feedback, you can email us at LLC at gmail.com. Seriously, let us know what you like to hear next. Do you want us to do another pop punk song? We might. Don't tempt us. We might do it. We could. I don't know. We'll do it. I don't know what it, it, the future entails for us, but maybe we will. Mm. All American Rejects. It, it entails All American Rejects. That's maybe. Right. Okay, That's well, all right. Maybe we will then. Uh, maybe it's been decided uh, <laughs> for us too. Um, please go follow us on social media to get the latest. We are very active on Instagram and Twitter. We want to make sure that we're keeping you guys engaged. Share them when we drop things, which is every Thursday for hashtag TBT, Throwback Thursday. It fits, guys. Go with it. Mm-hmm. But for mm-hmm. my co-hosts, Chris and Stefan, I hope that we weren't too far in over our heads on this one. We'll see you next week.